0: from our commercial break, for those of you just tuning in, we're talking about that same old curse that we all deal with, the daily grind. I see we've got another caller, one bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Marcia. Marsha, this is Scotty O at e 103. Let's hear it.
1: Oh, you're gonna hear it.
0: Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed indeed.
1: You want to hear about the daily grind? I'm a stay-at-home mom with four kids all under the age of five. Every day, I wash the same load of laundry, scrub the same dishes, wipe the same spit-up, change the same diapers, hear the same tantrums, and fight the same battles of bedtime, finish your food, and stop throwing your Paw Patrol cars at the baby! Wow. And even though I feel like I'm going non-stop, I feel like I'm failing. I mean... I look at other moms who are so put together with their cute hair and homemade organic baby food while I'm wearing five-day yoga pants, and not because I just got done with yoga, and throwing Lunchables at my kids.
0: Well, it hardly seems fair to compare yourself to other moms.
1: It's not just that. Ultimately, I'm haunted by this thought that all this stress, all this work, all these sleep-deprived days mean nothing.
0: Marsha, do you love your kids? Yes. Of course you do. That's why you keep them clean, keep them full, dry their tears. It's certainly not a glorious job, but I've learned that some of the most important jobs in this world are some of the most humble ones. And we're not here to gain glory, right? No. Of course not. And though you feel like a failure at it, You're still plugging away, aren't you? Still giving it your all.
1: I think I'm developing a bald spot.
0: So that's a yes.
1: So you're saying there's a point to what I do?
0: More than you know. Our God uses ordinary things to do extraordinary things. Wow. While we let Marsha absorb her very real worth, I want to remind all of our listeners that no job, no task, no interaction is futile, no matter how mundane, insignificant, or even secular it is. If you stake your claim with Jesus, then you're working to honor God and his kingdom, which, may I remind everyone, goes beyond the threshold at church. With that, I'm Scotty Yeo from e 103 saying, until next time.
2: Good morning. Good morning to everyone in the venue today. I tell you what, after that E Free Kids video and that little interaction, we should just close in prayer, huh? That's enough for one day. Wow. You wish. <laughs> How about our moms? Can we give it up for our moms? Man. There is an inglorious nature to the laundry and the dishes that our moms and dads do. And uh, I appreciate that woman's comments, even in that little theatrical performance over the radio. Well, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, and we give thanks for that. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and we give thanks for that. I always, around Martin Luther King Day, take a moment to review some of his favorite quotes at least my favorite quotes of his sometimes listen to one of his old sermons and I've been meditating on this beautiful comment from Martin Luther King he said love is the only force capable love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend have you found that to be true I certainly have and I've been sitting on that a bit here this morning and I want to encourage you to contemplate that as well Our vision statement here is simply this Every person matters And we really believe that No matter where you're from, no matter your background No matter your race or your creed Or any other thing You matter to us, you matter greatly to God And we're so grateful though that you're here today Uh, Why don't we uh, pray here this morning Before I jump into this morning's message And we'll just ask God to guide our time Father, thank you for this weekend Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the sunshine outside in spite of the ice. We're grateful the sun is shining. Thank you for the beautiful kids downstairs. Would you bless and watch over each and every one of them? Thank you, Lord, that every life matters so very much to you. Every person matters in this room. Every person matters to God. And we want to be for one another in this place. God, would you please help us? Father, as I contemplate that idea, that quote from Martin Luther King, I'm reminded of the truth that I was once very, very distant from you, God. Um, Even an enemy of God. And yet your love came through Jesus and transformed me by your love. It's the love of God that's able to transform us. And so also it's our love as instruments of God for others that can bring transformation to other lives around us we thank you for that beautiful message and we just take a moment to reflect upon this great idea that every person matters and how grateful we are for a statesman like Martin Luther King to remind us of that father thank you for this morning thank you for every person in here it is our joy to talk about the daily grind and how it might eventually turn into the daily call Please lead us now this morning, God. We give ourselves to you and ask for your help throughout this morning's message, this day and on into Monday, through Jesus we pray, amen, amen. Well, as I get started here, though, this morning, I'd like to take just a moment to review where we've been here the first two weeks of this series. If you weren't able to be with us, or even if you were, it helps us to to review. Review is uh, necessary for all of us to learn And we started with Genesis chapter 1, the first page of the Bible, as we sought to understand this beautiful idea of the image and likeness of God. And as we opened up to Genesis 1, we saw this beautiful first command to humanity to go off and reflect God in all that we do. And we noted this first truth, that the essence of the image of God is this, we are made to reflect God in all that we do. We are God's stand-ins here on earth, which of course would include our eight to five as well. That God choose to create this beautiful world, and he makes us as the pinnacle of his creation, and he says, you are my vice presidents. You go and take charge as I would if I were in your place, because in a very real sense, you're in my place over this beautiful world that I have made. So go out and be fruitful and multiply, which includes procreation, but not only that, it's also building family. Building family is different than having kids, amen? Building family and building culture and building community, being fruitful and multiplying beauty wherever we would go. And then also to subdue the earth, to rule in a good way. Again, as vice presidents, we are stewards of the beauty that God has made. And so he makes this beautiful world, and he says, You go off and you harness some of what I have made for good purposes. Make medications. Uh, make furniture. Make steel. And on and on. Out of the beauty that I have made, he leaves it wild to some degree. And he says, You go off and take care of what I have made. Multiply what I have given. Now, your work, your vocation, as we said last week, is not secondary to my vocation. Your vocation is not second class to my vocation. Indeed, God gives spiritual gifts for all kinds of service in this physical world. He gives spiritual gifts for administrative tasks with our minds, hospitality with our minds and with our hearts, and spiritual gifts for physical tasks in this physical world as well we looked at a wonderful passage from exodus 35 in which god gifted a couple men as craftsmen it's a glorious passage if you weren't here last week you might go and listen to that from exodus 35 and he does all of this because there is no division between body and soul body and soul are integrated And so our workplaces and our spiritual lives are integrated. And there's no first class and second class. And the work you do every day with your mind and your hands or with your soul is equal to the work that I do. Uh, There's even this beautiful Hebrew idea of shalom. Raise your hand if you've heard that word shalom before. Let's say that word together. Shalom. Beautiful word that is most often translated peace. Peace from the Hebrew, but it's way more than sitting on a cushion and feeling inner peace. Shalom, biblically understood, is the sense of thriving. That I desire your peacefulness, both physically and mentally and spiritually. I I desire your shalom as a congregation, as a church. I desire you to thrive in all that you would do. Shalom. That's the biblical idea And that, of course, relates to our workplaces as well. Okay, with that said, as a review, open with me in your Bibles to Genesis 3. And um, as a reminder, in Genesis 1 and 2, you have what would kind of be like Act 1 of the story, Act 1 of the theological narrative. In Act 1, God makes everything, and He makes it all good. Indeed, at the end of His creation, He says, it was very good. And He pauses, and for the first couple chapters just two chapters they have eden they have paradise and relationships are beautiful and work is meaningful and life is gorgeous and god's glorious creation life is beautiful for humanity and that lasted two chapters and then act number two in the story occurs three chapters into the Bible. And again, humans, as you probably know, um, get this incredible compliment that they are made in the image of God. They are told by God that you can thrive inside of all of this boundary line that I give to you. And inside of this, you will flourish. Outside of this, you won't flourish. And the original people basically said, you're God, but I'll decide. Me too. Like, we all do that. You're God, but I'll decide where I live and what boundary lines I choose to pass or not. And so they did that, and they walked outside of the boundary lines, and then what is called the fall of humanity commences, and everything gets messed up. Selfishness compounds, and relationships begin to fracture, and the workplace takes on thorns and thistles and sweat, And it's all because of this decision to live outside of God-given good limitations, good fences that are made for our flourishing. And I would just add that when God gives limits to us, it's not because he's a cosmic killjoy. He does it for our benefit. He does it because inside those boundaries, you think of the Ten Commandments for example, if you live inside the Ten Commandments, you will have greater joy in life. If you step outside of those eventually you won't feel much joy you won't experience much joy in life so God gives these good boundaries for the original couple to thrive they say no thanks well we'll decide they eat of that forbidden fruit and here is the result in terms of how it affects their day-to-day living their workplace experience chapter 3 of Genesis verse 17 God's pronouncement is this cursed is the ground Because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So you will still eat some of the fruit of your labor. You will still gain some fruit, but it will be painful. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So thorns and thistles take over. If you're a farmer, all kinds of weeds take over. All kinds of pests take over. And the beauty of work turns into the daily grind of work for the first time. If you're living in a white-collar world, as I am, you all of a sudden lose some of the beauty of the work for pushing paper clips and shuffling stacks of paper. And sometimes that can be our experience in the white-collar world, such that it feels like I am just going to work and I'm grabbing my time clock and I am punching it and it's time to live for the weekend. Right? And many people live that way. That they're just kind of living for the weekend. Can I possibly get through to Friday so I can begin to enjoy life? There was a movie out a number of years ago called Office Space. And in this movie, Office, these two managers are sitting down with their various employers or their various employees. Oh, boy, what happened? Okay. We got the gears going now, don't we? All right. Don't look at them, look at me. It's right here. In this movie, Office Space, these two managers uh, sit down with all of their employees in these cubicles. And as they grab a seat and they sit down with them, they ask to one of them, So what would you say you do here exactly? And that's kind of how it can feel in the daily grind. Work becomes this grind. What would you say you do here? So work can stink for us because of this every domain of life has been affected by the fall from grace work can stink because every domain of life has been affected by sin when god created people again it was all good but because of selfishness that now resides deep within here our relationships get fractured and sometimes there's tension in my marriage anybody else And sometimes child-rearing gets difficult. Anybody else? And sometimes work relationships get difficult too. It all gets fractured because there's this innate human condition that we're all dealing with that says, though God made me to look out for others and look up to Him, I'm now mostly looking out for number one. And this is the natural condition that we all must fight against. If you look back at verse 7 of chapter 3, you'll see how it all went down. They take of the fruit, and then verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked for the very first time. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The word that we would use for that is shame. They have shame for the very first time. Then the man and his wife heard the sound, of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here's their maker, who they were in supreme fellowship with, but now they're hiding from their maker amidst the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And in the midst of his hiding, God, of course, knows where he is. He's all-knowing, but he wants Adam to admit... I'm in hiding because of my shame, because I lived outside of the boundaries. God confronts the couple, and the man says in verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, it's her fault. Men, don't do that. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I went ahead and ate it. Friends, what happens when we choose to live outside of God's boundaries as it relates to work and really as it relates to relationships is right here written in these very few passages. It's the shame and the blame game. Like, wouldn't it be incredible if there was no such thing as shame in the world? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be amazing if we lived without guilt? If we didn't have to go into hiding when we did something wrong. If our relationships were not fractured with each other because of the things that we do wrong. Wouldn't it be amazing if we didn't go into blame where mistrust develops and we naturally do something wrong and the most natural thing in the world is to rationalize what we've done and then blame shift to someone else? And Adam does that and Eve does that. They both say it's his fault it's his fault someone else fault I'm not looking in the mirror now you apply that to the workplace and mistrust develops doesn't it like have you ever heard that occasionally in a corporation there can be some friction between HR and sales or between research and development and sales teams you ever heard that or maybe the university, is there, I see some professors in the audience, is there ever any friction between the administrative layer and the faculty layer? How about, uh, I see some doctors in the audience, ever any friction between nurses and doctors? How about the United States government? Is there ever any mistrust or distrust between the executive and the legislature and the judicial? Like, this is a reality of work. After the fall. And it's wise for us to say that we all contribute to it. Work can stink because all of us can go into the shame and blame game if we're not careful. Work can stink because all relationships, our relationships with one another, our relationships with God, our relationship with ourselves, even our relationship with creation, has been affected by the fall. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in such wise, beautiful words over in Romans chapter 8. We're wise to remember this. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All of creation groans for things to be set to rights again. So like hurricanes, we're not part of God's original plan. Divorce and child mortality... And workplace triangles, and Nebraska tornadoes, and workplace tornadoes. Those are not part of God's original plan. And so we are groaning, we are longing for things to be made right in this world once again. You apply this to this work, to the workplace, and the brokenness that we see in the world is manifested in the workplace in many different ways, but I'd like to suggest three ways, though, that it's commonly manifested. Perhaps, though, this will help as you sift through the daily grind. Here's one way. When work is my identity, when work becomes my identity, then I make work my idol. Do you know someone who does that? When work becomes your identity, then you make work your idol. And when something becomes your idol, then you gain your sense of self-satisfaction, self-worth, self-validation from what you do as opposed to who you are. And then you become, if you're not careful, a workaholic. Or you are looking for ways to brag about what you do or to demonstrate to people how important what you do is or what your status is. All of that arises out of turning work into an idol. A false form of worship. Then it becomes our identity. Here's another one. When work is tedious, on the other side of the spectrum, when work is tedious... We can become idle. When work becomes tedious or boring, monotonous, when we're not seeing any return on our labor, when we don't feel like we're having any progress in our work, then if we're not careful, it's really easy for us in our 9 to 5 to kind of slide into idle, slide into laziness and sloth and just punch in the time clock, and it really doesn't matter. I'm not getting what I want out of this, and so I'm not going to put in a full day's work every day. I can slide into idle. And all of us are tempted by this. I remember probably 10 or 11 years ago, my wife took on the most difficult job of her entire life. And she took a position at an inner-city school in one of the very toughest neighborhoods Deep in the inner city of Denver. And you don't take on an inner city job because you want to be fulfilled. You do it because you want to serve. So she went to this job in order to serve beautiful little black and brown and white kids each and every day as a speech language pathologist. She was at that job less than two months when she learned that the school district in Denver would be closing that school down because it was failing. And that was something that Denver Public Schools did for a number of years, closed down failing public schools. So here's my wife in a brand new job, and all of a sudden she learns that she's on a sinking ship that she just signed up for. And staff morale, of course, is a zero. And parents, of course, are very upset. Their kid's school is going to be closed down. They don't know what they'll be doing next year. Kids' behavior is all over the place because staff is all over the place. And my wife is commuting 60 minutes each way through the teeth of Denver traffic for that. What do you do? She was tempted to slide into idle. My wife is a great woman. She paused and she began to pray. And she said, God, what is my purpose in this job? I didn't sign up for this. It isn't what I expected it to be. What is my purpose in this job? And she realized, though, that her purpose would be the people around her. And though she had a coworker who would spend most of his days shopping online because he was disenchanted by his work, she had other coworkers, one of whom had a father who was dying of cancer. She said, I'm going to minister to that woman. And another one who was contemplating divorce and going through all of that, And she said, I'm going to care for that woman. And even though she had very little time as she was buried in paperwork, she determined that every time she saw one of those beautiful little kids who came to her, she would serve those kids and encourage those kids and give value to kids who are in a valueless list. Situation, And the result of it all was that even over the next seven, eight months that she had left, she found purpose in her work again. you got to fight against idol. And then finally, well, we have to recognize and we need to fight against greed. When work is only about money, then we inevitably get greedy about work and greedy for that bottom line. And then people become contacts. And customers become wallets. And employees become resources. You know, here in election year, you're going to hear frequently it's about the economy, stupid. You know, a famous dictum? It's not my words you're going to hear that frequently it's not about the economy ultimately it's about people ultimately like if God enables you to make a lot of money at work great that's a wonderful blessing far from God but if that comes at the expense of integrity of treating people with highest dignity as made in the image and likeness of God then it's a miss it's ill-gotten gain. Because in God's economy, the bottom line is not the bottom line. In God's economy, the bottom line is the people that we work around each and every day. Greed and idolatry and idleness are manifestations of the fall in this world. And if left unchecked, they will turn our jobs into a grind. Let me just add well, one more thing on this, but before I move on. If you are retired today or if you are moving toward retirement, you are going to be faced with the temptation to slide into idleness. And I just want to warn you, if you are moving toward retirement or you're there right now, retirement can be one of the most beautiful seasons of your life. Or it can be an extraordinarily difficult season of your life, depending on how you answer this question, what is my work going to be during this season? You must answer that question, because work is part of how we are made in the image of God. And so even if it means you can't work as much or as quickly as you used to work, this is a season to to perhaps slow down if you're in retirement. Yes, you might slow down, but you don't cease. Those who cease find meaninglessness. It goes against the grain of how we're made. And so during the season, perhaps it can be most fruitful because you're freed from some of the bureaucracies that turn work into such a grind as you are free to serve other people more, to mentor, to take a part-time job, to volunteer in any number of different ways to help children's ministries downstairs. I wasn't planning on saying that, but that video was so great, I gotta say it. Like, don't allow retirement to take over the soul because it will. And we're not made for that. Let me close with this over the next moments. I want to give a few reminders for all of us when work stinks. Here's a few reminders that you can hold on to whenever work, bub begins to stink for you. First one is this. Hold intention, fulfillment, and difficulty at work. Hold these two intention. Raise your hand with me if you've ever seen the TV show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. You ever see that? I don't think it's on TV anymore, bub, but You can certainly find it online somewhere. It was a great old show. And Micro became this huge success by taking on these dirty jobs that nobody else wanted, like rattlesnake catching. Anyone want that one? Septic cleaning. Who would like that one? On his website, he described the job of roadkill collector this way You must be able to work long hours braving oncoming traffic while picking up creatures of various sizes and in various states of decay. Benefits include working outdoors. Sto- strong stomach is a plus. But friends, after the fall, roadkill collector is actually a necessary job, especially during deer season in Nebraska. Like somebody's got to do it. And so we kind of hold intention, these dirty jobs, difficulty in fulfillment in work. you hold these intention. If you talk to um, grandparents those of an older generation, they simply were not thinking about fulfillment and work. This is a relatively new phenomenon, specifically for the Western world. It's wise for us to pause and to remember that for most of the world, nobody's asking, how can I be fulfilled by my job? They're simply asking, how do I provide for my family? And how do I survive? It's only in the West and only recently that we're asking the question, how do I get fulfilled by my job? Talk to your grandparents and you hear these explanations. Even so, I think it's really, really wonderful that we can at times be fulfilled in our jobs. And this is one of those things that perhaps older folks can teach younger folks certain values. And younger folks can even teach older folks certain values as it relates to work. Stay with me here. If you're an older person, you have an opportunity to talk to your grandkids. You have an opportunity, as my grandfathers did for me, to tell your kids about the values of duty and perseverance and citizenship and the great value of delayed gratification, which is starting to be lost by our culture. Delayed gratification that you work your tail off now for gratification later. Older people teach younger people that. But younger people can sometimes teach older people that fulfillment in work was part of God's original plan. That when God first made work, it was fulfilling. And the scriptures say things like, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. So you hold these two in tension understanding full well that will never be completely fulfilled at work and many days it will be just difficult second you want to understand the why behind your grind and then joy will increase if you understand the why behind your work joy will grow from there I'd like you to take a quick look at a video from a man who did not expect to be a mechanic He's not making as much money as he thought he would be making, not making as much money as he did in his previous year, but he has found the why behind his job and it's made all the difference. Take a look.
3: that a lot of people have expectations of mechanics that they're uh, swindlers, they're cheats, uh, they fool people into doing things that don't need to be done. We're really trying uh, to change the whole feeling people have about mechanics, uh, that they are trustworthy, they do care about your car, they do care about you, they want it to be safe, they want it to be reliable. And, uh, And I hope we're accomplishing that in the way we treat people. Hi, it's a great morning here at Zulums. This is George, can I help you? When I became a Christian, I went into the pizza business and then um, into real estate. And while I was in real estate, I was doing deals all over the world. But then uh, everything fell apart and we lost everything. And um, the only thing I had left was a I built an automotive business that I had started and I took over the business. And I was at church one day and a friend, a good friend of mine, was introducing me to his father for the first time. And his father said to me, oh, you're the mechanic. And I looked at him and in my mind I'm going international real estate, uh, money. And then I just looked at him and I said, yes, I'm the mechanic. I started realizing this is where God has me right now. If something changed, something will change, but um, I've got to change my attitude. There's a purpose in being here, and as that purpose became more clear on uh, reaching people, talking to people, realizing that there was no separation, what I did at work and what I did at church were the same thing. I'm here to do his will, not my own, and not for my purpose, but for his. Um, So I really started liking it. Oh, my pleasure, thank you. Have a great day, keys are in it, stickers on, you're all set to drive. Okay, God bless. There has to be joy in this. God promised joy. He didn't just promise it at home and at church. He promised financial wealth, but he did promise joy. And if you can't find it eight hours a day, there's something wrong. And it may just be that you don't know to call on him. I need more than this. Lord, give give me joy. This is where God has me. You know, I could be in a prison in Iraq singing hymns unto the Lord because I was preaching the gospel, but I'm here. I love what I'm doing right now. And, and God has me here and it provides a, uh, a benefit to people. And it's just working out well.
2: You'll notice much like the video we showed last week that the one thing he did was change his attitude. The one thing that we have control over oftentimes is a change of attitude. I'm not in international real estate anymore. I'm not making the kind of money that I used to make. But I have joy, and this is where God has me right now, doing his will. I will live into this. I gave an assignment a couple weeks ago here to write down in a single sentence your why behind your current job. Have you had a chance to do that yet? If not, here's a second try. I want to encourage you to do that this week. To write down in a single sentence, what is the why behind my current job, which will increase my sense of joy, because I recognize my work is tethered to who I am as a follower of Christ, and your why can be anything related to faithful, excellent service, done well consistently as unto the Lord. It can be serving other people well each and every day. It can be providing well for your family every day. But if you write down the a sentence what is your why behind your job and then you return to it on the very difficult days, that helps you. That can help us to make it through our daily grind. I have a mission statement in my office and I look at it probably on a weekly basis. I have days in the daily grind too. And then on top of that, in addition, perhaps there's some days that we need to pray the old serenity prayer while at work. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. God grant me the courage to change the things that I can change and God grant me the wisdom to know the difference. I'm going to invite the band up front right now. And as they come up front, I, w- I want to just close out both in here and in the venue with this one final line, which I think is the most important thing though, that you can take away as it relates to overcoming the daily grind. If you hear nothing else that I say, you've got to be sure that you hear this. Claim your true identity. Don't get your identity first and foremost from work. Don't get your identity first and foremost from relationships. Don't get your identity first and foremost by how much you have. Claim your true identity in Christ. I recognize work will be part of our identities. If you do anything 50 hours a week... 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, whatever you do, that will become part of your identity, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not saying that it won't. Work will be part of our identities. Sometimes the church has poo-pooed that, and we're not doing that. We're rectifying that over the course of the seven-week series, okay? Work is part of your identity. But it deserves noting, again, as we talked about in the first week of the series, that in other cultures, people ask, what village are you from? Tell me about your family. Who is your father? Tell me about your community. But in our culture, the very first question that we almost always ask each other is, what do you do? When you ask someone who's a college student, you ask, what are you studying? I.e., what will you do? And that's a part of it, again. Again. But friends, if that's your identity, that will lead to depression. There's a New York Times study done just five years ago that indicated over half of Americans, when asked the question, what is their identity, name their workplace. Name their work as the core of their identity. And inevitably, it led them to feelings of depression. Because that is too Small. It's too small for what God has made us for. God has made us for more than that. Like bigger than being a teacher or a student or a mechanic or a doctor or a businesswoman or a stay-at-home mom is your true identity in Christ. And I don't know what your spiritual beliefs are here today. I know we have a variety of spiritual beliefs in the room any Sunday that we come together. But if you would turn toward Christ, if you would turn toward the cross, if you would trust in Him well with your life, this is your true identity. Listen to it. Here it is. You're fully known. And you're fully loved. And you need not have any fear of rejection. You're fully known by God. Like with all of your dirt and all of your disappointments, all of the shame and the blame game, all of the hiding and the guilt and the mistrust, all of that stuff that nobody else knows but God knows. You're fully known with all the ugly stuff and all the beautiful stuff that you've done. You're fully known. And yet, if you're one who looks up to the cross of Jesus and says, would you have me, God? Jesus, is it true that you would die even for me? that you would pay for all that stuff that you know about me that other people don't know, and you say yes to God, then you are fully loved, bought with the price of Christ's blood, welcomed into the family of God. The fundamental thing about you is not your work. It's this. You are a child of God. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will in no way castigate you. He is for you and not against you. And no weapon formed against you will ultimately prosper for eternity. You are his. And then, if you believe that, all fear of rejection melts away. Who are people? If God is for me, I will not get my identity from my work. I will take my stand in him. It's the gospel that is the wellspring of life. We take our stand in it every day. We receive our identity from it every day. Fully known. Fully loved. No fear of rejection. Do you believe? So, Father, we we thank you. We receive you. We receive your great love for us. We say that we need it, God. We tell you, Father, that we don't have what it takes on our own to earn your approval. We live in a world that is all about what we do, but in your kingdom, it's all about what Christ has done. And so we receive that with thanksgiving right now. I don't know where you are spiritually today. If you don't know Christ personally as your Savior, you could simply say to him right now, I want to follow you today. I look at the cross and I receive your forgiveness for me. Would you please forgive me? I want to be your child, God. And he'll have you. As every eye is closed in this room and in the venue, if that's something that you want to do today, that you would say to God, would you please forgive me? And would you have me, God? Would you just raise your hand right now? as Nobody's looking at you. Just raise your hand right now. You say, that this has not been me. I have not been a follower of Christ. I have not been a child of God, and I want it starting today. Just raise your hand high. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for these two ladies. Thank you, Father. Thank you that this is true for all of us who look upon the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, that we don't need to fear rejection. We can live for God's approval, and we have it. Oh, we praise you, Father, for your goodness and your grace, your mercy to us. We give you glory and thanksgiving for the wonderful work that you're doing in this place. Lord, you help us to live from your approval as we go off and make a dent for your kingdom even tomorrow. We'll be careful to give you all glory in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen. Would you give God praise for drawing people to himself?